This reading is Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 1 to 8. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, You shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never lead you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. So let's just take a moment just to remind ourselves how that reading again fits into all that God has been doing uh, through Moses to his people. And indeed this clip is I've chosen this morning because it shows how the work of Moses actually fits into all that God has been doing from the creation of the world. And how this moment is a culmination of the history of God's people and it gives it a bit of an overview, perhaps of the five books, first five books of the Bible. It's only short. Uh, and those five books of the Bible, just to explain, are described by the word Torah, which is the Hebrew word for law. It's the word used for those first five books of the Bible. The book the of Deuteronomy, the epic conclusion to the Torah, and spoiler alert, Moses is going to die. Now, in order to understand this book, we need to remember the story so far. So Israel has escaped from slavery in Egypt. Then they spend one year at Mount Sinai. This is where they made the covenant with God to obey all of these laws. Then they wander around the desert for 40 years before they make it to the Jordan River, which is right across from the land God promised them. They're ready to go in. This is where the book of Deuteronomy begins. And what this book is really is a speech. Moses gives these final words. It's like a pep talk to the new generation of Israel that's about to go into the land. And the speech, it's broken up into three large sections. Moses begins the first part of the speech with a somber tone because he's highlighting Israel's rebellion and resistance, which has been going on for the last 40 years. And that sets up the rest of this opening section, which is Moses' challenge to this new generation to be different from their parents and to respond to God's grace with love and obedience. So he reminds them of the Ten Commandments, like the basics of the covenant, and then he gives them this very famous line. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
Now, in Jewish tradition, this is called the Shema because the first Hebrew word in this line is Shema Yisrael. And this became a very important prayer in Judaism, said twice a day. And it emphasizes the Israelites' exclusive commitment to their God, the one true God who loved them and who rescued them from slavery. Right, because they're about to go into a land where people are worshiping many other gods. And Moses thinks that loyalty to the Lord, their God, is the only way to life. Now, notice these key words in the Shema, listen and love. You're going to find these words all over this opening section of the speech. The word listen in Hebrew means more than just let sound waves come into your ears. It includes the idea of responding to what you hear. So for Israel, this means responding to God's grace by obeying the laws of the covenant. And then listen is always followed by love. Yeah, so love is the true motivation for obeying the laws. Israel won't obey without love, and they don't truly love if they don't obey. So there's this tight connection between loving and listening that runs through the entire book. And so Moses tells them that if they do listen and love, they will fulfill their original calling as the family of Abraham to show all of the nations the wisdom and justice of God and so become a blessing to them. The second big section in Deuteronomy is a large block of laws and commands. And this is where the book gets its name. Deuteronomy means a second law. And it's because many of these laws we've heard before. In fact, in the first line of the book, we're told that Moses is here explaining or clarifying the laws. So he's repeating and expanding on the laws, making them relevant to this new generation. There's laws about how Israel's to worship God, laws about their leadership structure, laws about social justice, and then some more laws about their worship. Now, after all of the laws, Moses warns Israel of the consequences of their obedience or disobedience, or in his words, the blessing or the curse. If they listen and love, they will experience blessing and abundance in the land. And if they don't, there's going to be famine and plagues, and they'll be forced off their land into exile. And that brings us to the final section of his speech. Yeah, here Moses says, I set before you today life or death blessing or curse. So choose life. But then things get really interesting because after 40 years with these people, Moses knows they're not going to obey. And so he predicts their failure and even their future exile from the promised land. And he focuses on what he thinks is the true source of the problem, that they have hard and selfish hearts. It's as if Israel is incapable of truly loving God in a way that brings about obedience. But this problem isn't unique to Israel. Yeah, in fact, Moses, when he's using this language about blessing and curse, he's tying Israel's story all the way back to all humanity's story from Genesis 1 through 3. So Adam and Eve, they were blessed by God just like Israel and given a choice to trust and obey God like Israel. And then they rebelled and brought a curse on the land like Moses knows Israel is going to do. And so these stories... They're about Israel's hard heart, but they're actually a window into the universal human condition. But Moses doesn't give up hope entirely. That's right. He says that somehow, on the other side of Israel's exile, God promises to transform their heart so that one day they truly can listen and love. In the final chapters, Joshua is appointed as the new leader of Israel. And then Moses takes the entire law code, the one he just predicted Israel would break. That's right. And he puts it into the Ark of the Covenant. And then Moses hikes up to the top of a mountain so he can see the promised land from afar. And then he dies. 
And that's how the Torah ends. Which is a strange place to end a story. I mean, it's right there at the climax. Will they obey the laws and live faithfully in the land or not? Well, the story does continue right into Joshua, the next book of the Bible. But this is the end of the Torah. And it's been ended here for a reason. The Torah is written for people who are either outside of the land or who are still waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to bless the whole world. And so now as each generation reads the Torah, they find themselves called to hope in what Moses hoped for, a new transformed heart that one day can truly listen and love. I don't know if you'd been writing the story of Moses, how would, how would you have ended it? You know, he'd done all that work, he'd suffered, he'd led, he'd formed, he'd created. He'd given his total life for one thing, to get the people of God into that promised land. And what does God say? Uh, Moses, you've done it. Uh, you've done all that you've been asked to do. And you're too old. I'll show you the promised land but you're going to die before the people get to it. Is that how you would have ended the story? If you've been writing it? But that's what happened. So how did Moses react to all that? Well, the reason why I kind of showed that is, is, is because it kind of gives a feel for how he did react. Because we've, he reacted with all the greatness that we've seen in him so far. First he found the right person to take over. He said, I'm too old. The future generation belongs to Joshua. Joshua, you're the man. And I appoint you. I anoint you. I'm not going to sulk. I anoint you. I call you. I trust you. I commission you. Go do. And the second thing is that he worked to get God's people ready for a future that he himself would not see. I'm not going with you. Joshua will. But people, the really important thing is that God will be there. God will lead you. God will be your leader. God will be your future. Joshua, you be strong, but people, you follow God and trust in his leadership. And he does everything he possibly can to get the people ready. That's why there's all those laws and those teaching. He teaches people the foundations for their life in the promised land. He, he reminds them of the law, the Ten Commandments. And he applies it to social justice, to the way in which they're to organise their cities and states. And he does everything he possibly can to lay the blueprint, the foundation, for that future which he himself will not see. And that's a great thing to do. And he reminds them that they're not just to do it for themselves, but they're to do it for all the nations of the world. And why, why that timing? Well, maybe something about this. This is 40 years on, remember, since Israel came out of slavery. And what's happened in that 40 years? Well, frankly, that generation has died. 
And now it's a new generation. People who have not known slavery. People who've only known the wilderness years. People who are desperate to be settled. To have a new future. To have somewhere different to go to. And so they need a new leader. A new leader that honours the past. Respects the past. But is not trapped by the past. A new leader for a new generation. So... What shall we quickly take from this from ourselves uh, this morning? Maybe it's something uh, about coping, uh, first of all, with with our own disappointments, uh, with our own uh, failures. And, you know, we know, don't we? You live under the tyranny of it. We live in a success-driven culture here in Surrey. Failure and weakness has sometimes a high penalty to pay, doesn't it, for it? We don't even talk about it. If we have problems at work, we find it hard to discuss it. I used to be part of a church, which I hope has changed now, but, but, but where people found it hard to say, I've been made redundant, uh, because that didn't work in the life of, of the congregation. I hope it's moved on. Uh, but it was a real struggle, because that wasn't the culture that people wanted to hear. But if we're honest, well, I, if I'm honest, and I don't have to be too honest, I mean, we do all fail. We do have disappointments. We do have vulnerabilities and weaknesses, don't we? Some time ago, uh, there used to be a, a very popular book. I don't know if any of you remember it. It was called The Book of Heroic Failures. It, you know, it was that, that story of the um, far end, far crew that rescued the cat from the tree and then ran over it on the way out uh, afterwards. Mind you, did you read in the paper this week that there was... Um, a fire crew that rescued little piglets from a burning barn and six months later the farmer gave them packs of sausages <laughs> as a thank you. <laughs> I just love that. A friend of mine uh, uh, broke his uh, uh, leg and, and uh, people wrote to him with cards and presents and, and I think at the end of it he got six copies of this book of historic failures and he wondered whether people were trying to tell him uh, something. But I recently read this Failure shapes us in ways that success never can. Failure places us out of control and beyond the limit of our own resourcefulness. We must stumble, Richard Raw writes in a book called Falling Up was a great book, we must stumble and fall because we must actually be out of the driver's seat for a while or we'll never learn how to give up to the real guide. And we shouldn't be surprised at that because didn't God say, listen, sometimes you need to be aware of your weaknesses because it's only in your weaknesses that you'll know that I am the God of strength, that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So something may be about our, our personal failures and disappointments, but what about something about our personal ambitions? Maybe that we just need to recognise that actually, like Moses, we live our lives under the sovereignty of God and that even our personal ambitions are not more important than the well-being of God's people and the well-being of God's work and we live our lives under that. I love that description of a Christian as someone who gives their life to the will and the way of Jesus. That our lives are formed both by his will and his way. Maybe Moses was beginning to think that he could do it all himself, that he didn't need God. And God said, no, 
Only I can be sovereign in this people. You can't stand in my place. It has to be me and me alone. There has to be a new leader for a new generation. And for Joshua, there was a calling and a promise. God will go ahead with you and God will be with you. And maybe here's something for us who have been uh, around for a bit in the life of the church. Maybe us who are a bit uh, older. Maybe we have seen in our, in our time the church go through a bit of a wilderness. It's not in a great state, maybe, at the moment in this country. But I do believe God is doing a new thing. I do believe that there's a new generation of leaders coming. A new generation of people. And so I want to say that if God has put leadership anywhere near your heart this morning, then will you respond to it? Because we need a new generation of Joshua's, a new generation of Joanna's, or whatever the female is of Joshua, Joshuana. We need them. And if God is touching your heart with any leadership this morning, go with it. Talk to someone about it. Because a new generation is coming and we need new leaders for that. Now, I'm not saying that if we, we're old, we're past it. But what I'm saying is I do believe that our job is to form that new generation. To do everything we can to build this new future and to set people free for it. Because we are people of the future. Whatever age we are, we don't live in the past. We don't just live in the present. We know that our future is the future of God's kingdom in glory. And it's that future what we sometimes will be that shapes everything we do and are today. And so for the people themselves, there was a new opportunity and a new challenge. And God wanted to make it crystal clear to the people that it was not the leader that counted, it was him that counted. Their security was to be in God alone. And so, maybe here's something for us as we draw near to September, because September always seems somehow to have the feel of a new beginning or a new start in some way. Certainly in the life of the church, a new beginning and a new start, as we'll start new series and so on uh, in September. But here's the challenge. We stand on the edge of what is to come. A new opportunity or a new challenge is always a place to grow, and to deepen our faith, because we have to learn to trust God in new ways. And so just these words to take with you into the start of a new week, maybe into the start of a new season in your life, maybe into the start of something new for us as a church. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So for us all this week, whatever our circumstance, wherever we stand, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid, therefore, and do not be discouraged. Let's just take a moment of quiet to commit our futures into God's hands whether just the future for this day, the future for this week, 
the future for this season of our life. Thanking God that he goes before us, that he is with us and will lead us. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that is past. And this morning we trust you and say to you, we trust you for all that's to come. Lead us and lead your people for your name's sake. Amen.